Our sermon today, there we go, it's from Luke 11, verses 14 through 23. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 11, verses 14 through 23. That's the book of Acts, that's not the right one. That's found on page 1106 in your Black Pew Bible, 1257 in the Adventure Bible. Luke 11, verses 14 through 23. I read in Jesus' name. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. And if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, in which he trusted, and divides his spoils. His spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, I ask that you would bless us, that you would guide us. Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, that we might understand, that we might live these things out that they might change our lives. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I, I want to start out, actually, on something from last week. Uh, last week, I was asked about imprecatory prayer. And it was interesting then, as I, was at, as I talked about it, and I thought about it this week, it was on Monday that I realized that I was wrong. Imprecatory prayer is actually bigger than what I had limited it to. Now, I had said that imprecatory prayer needs to exist in an attitude of forgiveness, and it can't, it can't be uh, an excuse for us to not forgive. And I still think that's true. But then I was reading Psalms, and in Psalms, King David, I think it's King David. No, it's not David. It's one of the um, Psalms of Asap. And he actually condemned someone to hell. Let their name be blotted from the book of the living. And so, imprecatory prayer is bigger than what I thought. I had it about here, it's actually about here. The problem that I'm having is that my theology is not, my understanding of God and interacting with God is not big enough to accept that yet. And that means that there's something wrong in my relationship with God. And so because I can't say that God's word is wrong, I have to say that I'm wrong. And so as of right now, I can honestly say I don't fully understand imprecatory prayer. It's bigger than my understanding of God. And so my theology is too small. I'm willing to stand here and say that. It has to grow. And I have to grow. 
And I don't exactly know how that looks yet. So that's something that I've been praying about this week and God hasn't revealed it to me. And I, I don't understand it as I'm reading the word and I'm praying about this and it hasn't come. And so uh, I apologize. I wasn't, well, I was wrong by not being right. That's kind of how we're wrong, isn't it? Yeah. That's wrong. I'm not right. There was truth in that, but it wasn't complete. So, um, imprecatory prayer doesn't mean that we don't forgive, but somehow in that we can still ask God to condemn people. I don't know how those two things fit together yet. So, I wanted to start with that. I need to correct my errors, and so I was in error then. So today, we're talking about the finger of God. What does this look like? So as, as Jesus was going about doing ministry, he was doing things that nobody else did. And this, this is huge because how many of you guys have ever seen someone cast out a demon or heal someone or raise someone from the dead or take, you know, seven loaves or, yeah, five loaves and then two fish. Yeah, I got the two mixed up in my brain. <laughs> I was like, no, the other one was right. You know, how many do we see, how often do we see people multiplying food? We don't see these things. And so Christ was doing miracles. Not only was he doing miracles, but we're also told in the book of Matthew that the crowds marveled because he taught as one who has authority and not like the scribes and the Pharisees who, as they taught, they just quoted other people. So, you know, Jesus is doing things that nobody else is doing. The crowds are marveling at him. He is doing marvels. And yet at the same time, did those marvels have the power to change the hearts of people who didn't want to believe? No. You know, so have you ever thought, well, if, if God would just do this, then people would believe. If God would just do this, then people would trust him. If God would just do this, then people would change. You guys ever thought that? I have. That thought's gone through my mind. God, if you just do whatever, you know, if you would just punish that person now, then others would see it. God, if you would just heal this person now, then others would see it. And the reality is that that's not how it worked. Because the people who wanted to doubt, they still doubted. The people who didn't want to see the miracles as miracles, they didn't see them as miracles. Their perception changed their ability to interact with Jesus. Their desires changed that. And so then we have some people that were directly antagonistic against Jesus. They were against Jesus. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. You, you can't argue with that. What's going on here? You can't argue with this. This is a guy who was never able to speak. Now he can speak. That's pretty impressive. You know, that... But, even though it's impressive, even though the people marveled, still there's a but. But, some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. So what are they doing? They are direct, they're directly acting as enemies of Christ. Because they, you know, these are the scribes, these are the Pharisees, these are people who do not want to believe. And so then they take the miracle and they ascribe to it an evil goal, an evil end, an evil foundation. You ascribe to it evil. It's by evil that he's doing these good things. 
You know, people do that nowadays. Because they're antagonistic against good. Well, why are you saying that? Well, it's because you're a bigot. It's because you don't like people like that. It's because you're simply old-fastened. It's because you're traditional. It's because you're closed-minded. And by the way, I'm not closed-minded. I'm right. So, <laughs> and humble, too. It's my best trait. But we're going to run into people, no matter what happens, no matter what, no matter what good God does through us. If we love someone that's not lovable, does that mean that they're automatically going to see the love of Christ? You don't know. If they don't want to, they're not going to. Because their desires, their will plays a part in all of this somehow. And I don't fully understand how. I don't know how that all works. But we see them playing a part in this. They're hardening their heart against God. They're saying, no, I don't want to see the good. They must be doing this in order to get something out of me. You guys ever done that? Been kind to someone only to have them doubt you or be angry at you for it? It's strange, but it's reality. They don't want to receive love. And so then they become antagonistic against it. But others then will say, prove it. You have to prove it. So Christ is doing this, these miracles and they're saying it's not enough. It's not enough. You have to do more. That's not enough. It's not good enough. And this is also another foundation for doubt. It's not enough. So if, if God came down to earth and started talking to people, there would be some who would say, not enough. You've got to prove it. You've got to do more. You've got to do more to show me your love. You've got to do more to show the grace of God. You've got to do more. What you're doing is not enough. And that's, well, that's the world that we live in now. They're calling the church to do more. And you know, is it that we can't do more, that we shouldn't do more? No, that's not it. We should do more. Because I can honestly say, as, as Hosanna, as an individual within Hosanna, I, I don't show the love of Christ as, as often and as well as I could. I still have a lot of room to grow. Uh, we talked about it in confirmation, or not confirmation, <laughs> in Sunday school. We talked about it in Sunday school. What's the foundation with which I'm supposed to interact with this world? Great Commission. Go and make disciples. So as you're living your life, are you doing this in order to make disciples in order to get what, or in order to get what you can out of this world? Whether that be ease or peace or hope or, you know, whatever the world promises to offer. Am I here to benefit and to bless the world or is it here to benefit and to bless me? You know, am I saying, God, you've got to give me more. I'll trust you if you give me more. I'll rely on you if you give me more. God, I won't worry about money if you give me more money. God, I won't worry about my health as long as you make me perfectly healthy. Do we do this? It's easy for me to point the finger out. But do we do this? Prove it, God. Prove that you can provide for me tomorrow by providing for me overly and abundantly for today. So that I'll have enough to, that I don't have to worry about tomorrow. Prove it. Do we do this? I know it's in my heart. And this is the foundation of doubt. And so I'm hoping that none of you are openly antagonistic, although you might be doubtful. You know, if God works in someone's heart, do we say, that's not really God? Because that was the first group. As God changes people, do we say, hey, look what God has done? Or do we say, that's not really God. They're just trying to get something. 
someone repents, do we say, wow, look what God has done? Or do we doubt? Be scornful, bitter. Are we like this? Because that's the harder question and that's the more important question. It isn't, hey, look what look at them numbskulls out there. Look at this numbskull in here. Am I like this? Because I've done this. I've seen someone change and said, I don't I don't believe it. I've seen God work and still doubt him. I really don't need to be praying about that. That's in me too. We have doubts. There's reasons to doubt, but none of them are legitimate. So what does Jesus do? How does Jesus interact with doubters? How are we to interact with our doubts and with the doubters in this world? The first thing that Jesus does is he uses logic. Now, some of you like to think. Not everybody, believe it or not, likes to think. Some people just like to act. They just like to react. That's how they like to interact with this world. Some people like to think. And so those people who are thinkers, this is for you. We use logic. And so as, as I'm doubting, how do I interact with that? What's my first step? It's to look at this rationally. Let's make an argument here. Think about it. So a kingdom divided against itself is going to fall. So by them saying, hey, this is Beelzebub. This is Satan. Satan is casting out Satan. Jesus said, wait a second. Think about that for a moment. If this is true, then his kingdom is falling. Is that what we see? No. And so as those doubts come into your heart, what do you do with it? Okay, think about this for a moment. Because our world is based actually upon logical rules. Think about it for a moment. If my doubt was true, what else would have to be true? Because no truth exists in isolation. It's connected to all the other truths. And this is why it's actually hard to think. Because truths are connected to other truths. And so I have, I've had the doubt. You know, and I've, I've had to deal with some of these. Are you sure that God really exists? Are you sure of that? Okay, let's think this through. If God doesn't exist, then that means that all of this stuff happened by accident. What are the odds of all of this stuff happening by accident? Infinitesimally small. Very, very small. Okay. Well, let's say that that's true. That this huge accident just happened and brought about all of this stuff. Can it bring about each and every one of these things? How about the times when we've seen just the randomest things happen? Well, that must be luck too. Well, okay, now then I'm ascribing all of this to luck. And so we logic our way through this. But we don't just logic our way through this. We look at the patterns. Does this break the pattern? Because as we start out with logic and then Jesus says, hey, these things that you're relying on, if you're saying that this is true, what about these other things? Because what about the demonic activity? What about people having powers? What about, what about that? What about your sons? They're casting out demons too. Because there are people at this time that were casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the disciples told them to stop, but thankfully these guys didn't listen. But they were casting out demons in Jesus' name. Jesus is saying, hey, you guys, look at this. Are you gonna, you're going to condemn me, but are you going to condemn them? Because if you condemn me, you also have to condemn them. If you say this, you also have to say this. Are you willing to do that? And 
I'm not going to have any illustrations for that because most of the ones that are coming to mind are currently uh, very politically incorrect. <laughs> but are we willing to continue this pattern through? Well, no. Well, then you can't start it. So then what did Jesus finally do? So he, he shows that the first step doesn't work. The second, there's more than one way in which this doesn't work. And this is the reality with doubts. When we're doubting, when you're doubting, when I'm doubting, what's happening? We're falling away from the patterns that God has established in this world. And if this is true, then something else has to be true. And that's both in the positive and the negative. And so then Jesus brings truth. No, this is really what's happening. And that's what we need to do to ourselves too. This is why we need the word of God. We need to bring to ourselves truth. We need to be filling ourselves with truth. Because otherwise, we're just going to be open to the lies. We were taught in seminary that uh, back when um, there was a lot more money changing hands in the form of bills, the way they trained people to tell the difference between a fake bill and a real bill was by feeling a lot of real bills, not by feeling all the fake ones. And so they interacted with truth so much that when they felt something that wasn't true, they knew it. Back when I was in high school, we used to play a lot of cards when we rode the bus because I had an hour bus ride and it was really boring. And so we played cards. You know, and after a while, I could tell the deck, I could tell the feel of a 52-card deck as opposed to a 50-card deck. Only two cards missing. And I could tell the difference just by feel. And so if you interact with something enough, you'll know when there's something off. And so this is why we interact with truth. How do we deal with the doubts? How many of you ever doubt? Ever doubt God? How, will God provide? Will God protect? Will God bless? Will God guide? Do you guys ever ask those questions? How do you answer those questions? We need the truth. But then we also need to interact with the doubt itself. Well, God doesn't really guide me. Really? God doesn't really protect me. Really? If you're willing to say that God doesn't protect you, then what about those times when God has protected you? Then you're willing to say that that was just luck and that wasn't God? Well, God's guide you. He made all these things fall into place so that you are where you're at. Well, God might not guide me tomorrow. Really? That means he didn't guide you yesterday. Well, yesterday was hard. I want that to be easy. God still brought you through it, didn't he? Is God going to provide for me? Well, you're here. He gave you enough to get to today. Why do you think he's not going to give you enough to get to tomorrow? Well, but I might not get my wants. Well, that's a different question. And so as Jesus interacts with their doubts, he shows them that really the reality, we like to deal with reality being great. Well, I can kind of doubt here, but I'm still kind of trusting God. Jesus says, no, that's not the way this works. You're either for me or you're against me. You're either scattering or you're gathering. This is the reality. And you think about that with our lives. Either I'm gathering people to Christ or I'm scattering people away from Christ. These are our options. Like, well, I want to live neutral. Thanks, Jesus. Jesus says there is no neutral. But we struggle then when we think about this in the aggregate. So concrete is an aggregate. You guys know what an aggregate is, right? It's, you know, all of you rock hounds out there. An aggregate is a bunch of little things that are held together by a big thing, by glue. And so concrete is an aggregate. Within concrete, there's Portland cement. That's the glue that holds it all together. There's rebar. 
there's sand and there's gravel. Well, there's, there's rock. And that's an aggregate. And so we are an aggregate. Because as I look out at this congregation, we are one and we are many. But there's something that's holding us together, and that's Christ. And I am one, and at the same time, I am many. Because I have conflicting emotions. Do you guys ever have conflicting emotions? Those of you who have emotions, don't worry, Nathan, I'll talk to you later. Um, <laughs> but we have conflicting emotions. You know what that tells me? That my emotions aren't just one, but there's many in there. We are an aggregate. And we like to think about these things in aggregate. So in, in total, am I with Christ or am I against Christ? Well, if I'm trusting Christ, then in total, I am with Christ. Then I am in that camp. But then we have to break these things down into the granular. Because this action, whatever action that would be. So I'll, I'll use, <laughs> my, my mother got me a cup. My mom got me a mug that says, Pastor, anything you say or do can be used in a sermon. Um, <laughs> that's the one. Here's the, thank you, Vanna. <laughs> you know, and so, but this is the way that my life is. Because even with that, am I going to use that for Christ or am I going to use that for myself? Because if I'm using it for Christ, then I'm gathering to Him. If I'm using it for myself, then I'm, gathering, then I'm actually scattering from Christ in order to gather to me. If I use this for my glory, for my fame, for my pleasure, if I use this in order to make myself feel better, to give myself power. You know, it was one of the things we were talking about as we were doing hot dog days. What's our goal here? Well, we're not selling any hot dogs. Because right away, we weren't selling any hot dogs. Well, so what? What's our goal for being out here? To sell lots of hot dogs? Or to let people know that Youth for Christ exists. That we're here. That we're willing to help. That we're being gracious. That we're being kind to others. Are we showing the love of Christ? Are we showing that there is an organization here that wants to share Jesus with others? Or are we here to sell hot dogs? You know, with our worship service. Are we here to just all be in unity regardless of our relationship with God? Or are we here to grow our relationship with God that we might be in true unity? What's our goal? What's our purpose? Because one scatters and one gathers to Christ. And so we have to look at every one of those, every one of those doubts. Jesus doesn't really mean that I have to love this person. Ugh. Well, that's, that's one grain. Because we're made up of many grains. There's a lot of things that live inside of you. There's a lot of things that you do. Are you interacting with all of those things in the light of Christ? Because that's the question. Because as God works in this world, are you working for him or against him? Well, generally speaking, I'm working for him. Okay, so not generally speaking, is this thing for Christ or not? Is my interaction with my wife for Christ? Am I seeking to build her up in Jesus? Or am I seeking to use her as my maid? I was teasing Rachel last night. Would we use mommy as slave? That's daddy's job. You don't get to. <laughs> Rachel got after me. <laughs> Shocking, right? But is that the purpose of our wives, men? Women, what's the purpose of your husband? 
Are you interacting with him to build him up in Christ? Or to use him to make sure that you have a roof over your head or whatever? Think about it. Because every one of our interactions, both with ourselves and with everything in this world, needs to be brought to submission to Christ. Otherwise, we're using those things to scatter. Then as God works in this world, we can bring glory to him instead of bringing glory to us. Because these doubters, what were they doing? They were just bringing glory to themselves. They were removing glory from Christ to bring glory to themselves. As God interacted with this world, they didn't know how to deal with it. So then how do we deal with it? Reason, through patterns, through truth. That all of our interactions with this world might be brought into unity with Christ. Does that make sense? Kind of sort of. Close enough. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you. I thank you for revealing to us these doubts. Lord, and I thank you that we can apply these things into our own lives because we're no different than these people. Lord, and so I ask as we interact with our doubts, as we interact with you, that we would seek to gather. Lord, that we would be for you in every aspect of our lives. Out of love for you, because we trust you. Lord, so teach us and guide us, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.